everyone, and welcome to the Southcliff Podcast. We're glad you've joined us. Now, here's Senior Pastor Dr. Carol Marr with this week's sermon. Well, it's a joy to be with you today. If you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Romans. We've been making our way through the book of Romans for several months now, and uh, we've made our way to chapter 12. And last time we were together, uh, we started uh, in chapter 12 with a message that only had two points, but we only got through one of them. So today's kind of part two from what we talked about last time we were together. And if you are uh, here and it's your first time, I would encourage you maybe to go online and listen to that as these words offer great insight for us. Uh, We've discovered that when you get to chapter 12, you've kind of open the door to a fun part of the book of Romans. The first 11 chapters are just really Paul getting into the weeds on some doctrine and truth that all of us need to know. And, and, and then when he comes to chapter 12, he begins to open the door to help us understand how to apply what he has taught us in the first 11 chapters. How do we put into practice what he has made evident in those truths. And he begins by telling us at the first part of chapter 12 that we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice to God. And and that involves living our life as God leads us, not conformed to the world, um, but continually allowing the Holy Spirit to transform us and our thinking, our reasoning. It it is that God gives us a new mindset, a new way of thinking. And that really is critical to what Paul is going to teach us in the text that we're looking at uh, before us today. He has continued to say that every one of us have been called by God, gifted by God. Each of us have a spiritual gift. We talked about the the fact that God has uniquely made us. He has given to those of you that are children of God, those who have accepted Christ, a spiritual gift. And and with that, the abilities that we have and, 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 um, and our, our relational style and, and the concerns, the passions of our heart and the experiences, all of those things come together. And, and God puts all of that together to help us be the best me that we can be. He, he, he has created us to live in light of those truths. And so with that said, Paul then turns his attention to how we are to relate to one another. And he says that as believers, um, there's an atmosphere within which we operate. And and that atmosphere kind of sets the stage or lays the foundation for the life that we live in Christ. And two things Paul addresses. First, he gives to us in the verses before us and, and an admonition in verse 9 down through verse 13, he speaks of how our transformed mind enables us to relate to one another within the body of Christ. How are we to conduct ourselves as a family of faith? And we looked at that last time we were together. Paul said that we are to to, to be governed in the way we relate to one another by love. We are to love one another. And Paul even used a very interesting word. It's the only first time he uses the word agape to describe the love that we are to have for each other. Most of the time that word describes the love that God has for us. But Paul says that that the agape love, let your love be without hypocrisy. Let your love be genuine. 
Let that agape, you are to love one another with the love that God loves you. And then he unpacks that, and in the verses before us, we begin to recognize Paul saying to us what that looked like and how we are to do that. And he says that we are to love and the command that we are to love. And, and, and then he defines love, and I'm glad he does that. He said the world doesn't get to define love. God defines it for us. And he reminds us that in the world, the, the world has a way of saying that if you don't agree with what I do, you don't love me. The, the world has a way of saying that, that if, if I live my life, you've got to endorse my decisions and choices in life. And if you don't do that, you're not loving. And God says, no, that's not true at all. It is absolutely possible to love a person and, and if there's sin in their life, hate sin in their life. And he even governs how we do that. We talked about that last time uh, we were together. He said that we are to be devoted to one another. And in friendship, there's a connection, a family love, that family type connection that is to be there. Give preference to one another. Uh, not lagging behind in diligence. Don't quit. Hang in there. Relationships are hard. Be fervent in spirit, he tells us. Calling for our best to keep our focus on God and, and, and see this as a service to him. Joyful in hope and then patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And finally, he says, and this is how love expresses itself, you are to share with those that are a part of the body of Christ, practice hospitality. So last time we were together, we looked at all of those components of the love that Paul said is to be evident within the body of Christ. So that's the way we are to conduct ourselves here. And, and, and I even mentioned to you that if we do that well in here, then those that are out there, those that don't know God, those that have never made a decision for Christ will be drawn to the church and begin to recognize there's something different about the church and that Something different is what I long for. We live in a world today that longs for unity but can't find it. We live in a world today that longs to be loved but doesn't understand what it is. And when we demonstrate that, then it begins to bring them to us and ultimately to Christ. But then Paul turns his attention in verse 14 down through verse 24, 21. Uh, he begins to talk about how we are to relate to people that that are outside the church, that are far from God. Now, writing to the church at Rome, he's talking about the unity and love there to have because there was a great diversity of people within the church at Rome. But he also is talking to them in a time when they were facing intense persecution. It was not easy to be a Christian in Rome at this time. And the outside pressure that they were feeling from people that were not believers. And so Paul says, how do we relate to that? How do we handle that? And in fact, in the text before us, he really kind of allows us to recognize how to handle difficult people. Um, and, and those that are apart from God can sometimes be difficult. But now, uh, the neat thing is that we can also apply this here because it, it's not just people out there that can be difficult, but people in here can be difficult too, right? Yeah. And, and so what he's going to tell us with regard to focusing on how we are to relate to the world also works to help us understand how to handle those challenging people in our life. And every one of us have them, don't we? 
you probably think of that one person that is a challenging person in your life. And if you can't think of a challenging person in your life, maybe you're that challenging person. I don't know. But all of us have that. I, I, I heard a story this week that kind of puts it in perspective. I think no one really understands this as well as teachers in school. Teachers always have that one student or those two students that are just difficult. And, and you love them and you work with them. And I heard the story of a kindergarten teacher one time who had a little boy in his life. And he was a pepper, man. He was really difficult to deal with. But she was just committed to love him and, and to provide the environment for him that he needed. And, and, and one day, it was actually a cold day. It had been snowing. And they were getting ready to go home. And she noticed that he was struggling putting his boots on. So she goes over and begins to help him struggle to put on those rubber boots. And, and she so she helps, and, and I mean, it was hard. She understood why he was struggling. She began to pull and pull and pull. She finally got those two boots on and stood him up and, and thinking that she had accomplished something. And he looked down and he said to her, they're on the wrong foot. So she didn't say anything. She just simply sat him down, wiggled the boots off, changed positions and started all over again to put those same boots on with the same trouble and the same effort. She finally put the two boots on, stood him up. After she had finished, wiped the sweat from her brow and he simply said, these aren't my boots. So she says to himself, okay, I'm not gonna say what I think. She reaches down, begins to pull those boots off, finally gets them off. And as soon as she gets them off, he said, they're my brothers. My mom made me wear them today. Okay, not gonna say what I think. She begins to work hard, puts them on him again, finally gets them on him, and he doesn't say anything. She thinks she's got it made. She puts his coat on, she puts his little cap on, and she says to him, where are your mittens? <laughs> he said, I stuffed them in the toe of my boots. There are people in life that are just difficult, right? Hard to deal with. And the text before us really gives us insight into how to deal with difficult people. So I think all of us are going to walk away with some insight in our time together today. Now, with that in mind, let's look together at verse 14 down through the end of the chapter. Here, Paul kind of takes a turn. He has been talking about the body of Christ. Now he says in verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will weep, you will you will uh, heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, Paul is talking to us about how to take the love that we are to have within the body of Christ 
and put it into action in the world. Put it into action with people that don't think like we do. Don't believe what we believe. Don't live like we live. How do we love them? Well, he begins by saying, bless those who curse you. Now, I want to tell you something. I believe that that is an absolute supernatural injunction. I don't think you can do it without a renewed mind. I don't think it is possible for us to bless those who curse us unless God gives us the ability to do that. This, this is a radical thing that God is asking of us because I've discovered in life it is one thing not to curse your enemies. It is another thing to pray for them, right? Or to pray that they be blessed. And that's what he says, bless those that curse you. I don't know about you, but, but when I have a tendency to pray for people that are rude and mean and, and using that term, who curse me, I have a tendency to want to pray like the disciples wanted to pray in, in Luke chapter 9. Jesus was with the disciples and, and they were communicating and they confronted some homes and some Jewish people who were not hospitable to them who rejected their teaching and rejected them. And the disciples, you got to love these guys, the disciples said, God, Jesus, do you want us to pray down fire from heaven on them and destroy them? And Jesus responded by saying, yeah, I think he probably laughed and said, what in the world are you talking about? No, I don't want you to pray to fire down from heaven to destroy. I didn't come to destroy people. I came to build them up. But the default setting for us is that if somebody does something wrong to me, I want to get them back. I want to do something wrong to them. I, I want to exercise the same toward them. And yet Jesus says in this radical command that we are to bless those. We are to pray a blessing on those who are our enemies. And he, and he is literally saying that I am to pray, God, I pray that you will bring blessing into their life. Now, I don't know about you, but that's hard to do. That's why he connects it with daily presenting our bodies a living sacrifice to Christ. It is why he says daily we are to allow God's Holy Spirit to live in us and transform our mind because I'm calling you to a way of living that is absolutely foreign to the life that is normal in the world that we live in today. Now, it kind of is in keeping with an old saying that was a part of the Eastern culture at the time, they, they often spoke of the, the head, the lips, and the heart. And the idea was that, that I think highly of you, that I speak well of you, that my heart beats for you. And it's in line with that that Jesus is saying, for those who are our enemies, I speak highly of you. To those of you who have wronged me, I speak well of you. To those of you who have betrayed me, my heart beats for you. And then he goes one step further and tells us how to do that. How is it that we are to then bless those who curse us, bless those who are different than us, bless those who are on the other side? Well, he says in verse 15, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. 
He said, this is what I've called you to do as my children. I want you to identify with the world's ups and downs. When there are people that you know and they're hurting, I want you to identify with their hurt. And when there are people that you know that are rejoicing, I want you to rejoice with them. I want you to celebrate with them. He's ultimately saying this, I want you to get involved in their lives. This is how we become salt and light. And I'm I'm convinced that, that this is the way that lights the way to Christ. And it's so easy if we get in the mindset of doing that. We have a tendency to live on streets where we know no one around us, we, we, we are able to pull in our car into the garage and shut the garage door and walk right into our house and never have to have contact with anybody else on the street. But I think what he's saying is that we need to make an effort to make connections with people that live on the street that we live in or in the apartment complex where we live. And when you see a sign that goes up in the front yard that, that welcomes a new baby into the household, then, then why not go buy a bag of diapers and knock on the door and say, congratulations, man. You know, I've not had the opportunity to meet you, but boy, it's, it's so exciting that you guys have come to that place. We rejoice with those who are rejoicing. And when we see a, 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 a black bow on a, a, on a business An opportunity to come back there and say, hey, evidently there was a loss somewhere in in the business. Can you tell me about that? And and I just want you to know I'm praying for you. Think of just learning to be alert. And what Paul is saying is that you guys are are, are trying to live out your Christian walk in a hostile environment surrounded by people that, that, that don't know God. But a lot of times the hostility of the world is not a hostility that, that is simply an expression of a hatred for Christianity. It's just they don't know. And when we love them and rejoice when they rejoice and we cry when they cry, We demonstrate that kind of agape love that God gives to us, that grace that we talked about a moment ago in our prayer time, that we lavish upon them. Then suddenly, we begin to see the doors open for them to come to Christ. And that's what God has called us to. It reminds me of a little verse that says, a sorrow shared but half a trouble, a joy that is shared is a joy made double and that's what God is calling us to in the same way he he leads to the next command in chapter 16 he says we are to pursue peace live in harmony with one another he says have the same mind toward one another I guess I could ask you this question do you Do you have to agree to live in harmony? No. I like the way my dad used to say it. He said, you know what? You don't have to see eye to eye to walk arm in arm. We don't have to agree. We live in a world today that's demanding that we agree, but yet Paul is saying what we need to demonstrate is that we don't have to agree in order to walk in harmony 
with one another. Have this same mind toward one another. Don't be haughty in your mind, Don't, uh, or, or, but associate with the lowly. Don't be wise in your own estimation. U- ultimately, he's simply saying this, don't be holier than thou. Don't look down your nose at people that, that don't believe as we believe. Don't look down your nose. Listen, we have a tendency sometimes as, 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 as people of God, the longer we walk with God, the less contact we have with people outside. And, and we have to work at developing relationships with people outside the church. We have a tendency to just build our whole world around the church. All my friends go to church. We go to Bible study together. We hang out together. Our kids grow up together. They do things together. And we have a tendency, if we're not careful, to isolate ourselves in little bubbles. And we have, you know, all these Christian, you know, we get Christian schools and we put our kids there so that they don't have to relate to anything. And, and listen, I think Christian schools and private education and homeschool is fine, but I just believe, this is my personal belief, if you make those decisions, it should be based on the kind of education that can be provided for your children, not about the people that are in the school. If I can provide a better education, well, that's great. You can make those kinds of decisions. But sometimes we, we build these little bubbles so that we can insulate ourselves from others and isolate ourselves from the world. And, and Paul is saying, look, you need to, to recognize that building those bubbles creates within you a mindset that you're better than they are. And don't create a mindset that you have a haughty attitude that I'm better than anybody else Associate with a lowly, it's interesting that phrase can also be translated where it says associate with a lowly, um, uh, associate with menial task. And the idea really is this, is there anything or anyone that is beneath you? Are there some things that you just won't do because that's beneath you? Are there some people that you can't be around because that's beneath you? And he is simply saying, don't have that haughty mindset. Paul is reminding us in this application of what he has said in the first 11 chapters. And what did he spend the first four chapters saying? You're a sinner. There's no difference between you and those that are out there that have never accepted Christ. You are a sinner separated from God. There's nothing you can do about it. There's no hope for you. And then he finally comes to chapter four and says, but God did for you what you could not do for yourself. And he provided for you Jesus and Jesus offers you salvation. Don't you ever forget that as a child of God, it's not because of who you are or what you've done. You are the recipient of his grace. And God loves those that are far from him as much as he loves you. And those that are far from him, he died for. And so he's ultimately saying, live in harmony as you can. How do we do that? I think the way that we live in harmony with those that are different is we focus on, we always default to the thing that's most important or the thing that we value the most. If you take... Uh, uh, a UT fan and an A&M fan that are both a part of the church during the, the heat of football season. Maybe those rare moments when uh, with A&M going to the SEC, a rare moment when all of a sudden UT and A&M play one another. Um, those two fans, the way where they relate to each other depends on what's most important. If 
if our friendship is more important than the football team, then you know what? We're going to have a whole lot of fun ribbing each other about that, but that difference is not going to divide us. And the same is true even politically. If we can have people that are Republicans and people that are Democrats, but if, but if we have something that is of greater value to us than the Democratic Party and the Republican Party, then that's the thing that unifies us. If our, if our commitment to Christ is more important than that, then, then you can be a Republican and I can be a Democrat and we can live in harmony with one another because what we value most, the greater value gets our attention. And so ultimately, Paul is simply saying, don't, don't be holier than thou. Live in harmony with one another. Have the same mind toward one another. Don't be haughty of mind. Associate with the lowly. And then you think that's tough. It gets even tougher now. Because here's the real test. In verse 17 down through verse 20, he talks about how we are to love people when we've been wronged. What about the times when I've been wronged? What about those who in the church at Rome are persecuting us? What about those who took away my job, who questioned everything? I have lost everything as a result of that person. How do I treat them? And Paul says, hey, again, supernatural, radical, unnatural. Paul said here, Here's the key. Don't focus on getting even. Just let go. If you focus on getting even, it could consume you. It's not going to accomplish what you want anyway. And, and he ultimately says the way that we deal with people who have wronged us is that rather than getting evil or, or getting even, we trust God. Never, never pay back evil with evil. It's not going to accomplish. That's the default setting. That's what we want to do. But, but don't have a mindset of getting even. Have a mindset to trust God. That he'll work in the life of the person who's wronged you. Now, I want to tell you, the reason we struggle with this is because it just feels weak, doesn't it? <laughs> When someone has wronged me and I don't stand up for myself, it just feels weak. And it feels like Jesus is saying, you just need to roll over and, 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 and be a pansy and, 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 and it's okay, everybody else wins. But ultimately, it, it's not that at all. What he is saying is, I'm just asking you in this instance to trust me. I'm bigger than you are. I know more about what's going on and I and only I can change hearts. So trust me. Give me the challenge that you're faced with. Give it to me. God, he's wronged me. He's done this wrong to me. And in so many times when a person wrongs us, it looks like they come out on top and they're doing better. And here I am struggling and suffering and doing what you want me to do. And they're doing so well. And, and, and he just simply says, hey, don't think about getting it. Just trust me understand understand that I, I I've got you and I also understand that he says in verse 18 if possible live in peace with others and then he goes one step further and says and 
so far as it depends on you, I think that's the key to living at peace with others. He says, sometimes you can't. Sometimes I'm going to ask you to live at peace with others, but sometimes you can't. They're not going to let you. And in those moments when they don't let you, in those moments when they don't let go, well, you know what? As far as you're concerned, you you can't control them, but as far as you're concerned, what you are to do is live at peace and trust God. My part in the situation is to... Pursue peace as a default setting in my life, seeking God's way rather than my way or revenge. And in verse 20, he says, leave the revenge to God. What I often say in those situations when you find yourself there is, I will whisper, God's got to bear for you. Now, the reason I say that is because there's a fun story in the Old Testament about a prophet named Elisha. And uh, Elisha takes over after Elijah, that great man of God. And, and Elisha, right after he begins his ministry, he, he confronts some um, uh, conflict and he confronts some, some, some people that are against him and stand against him. And... Uh, and, and they began to make fun of him, and they, they, they offered terms of derision. What's really fun is in the King James Version, it says that, that uh, uh, Elisha came and a group of youth, he uses the word youth, which in the King James, that word could be all the way up to 21, 22, three years old. So it wasn't a bunch of kids, but they were, they, they, were, they were young adults. And they met him, and they said, go up. This is the King James. Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. Well, you know, as a kid, you read that and you think, well, Elisha was bald-headed. But no, that's not the case. The, the word bald-head in, in the Hebrew is a term of derision. They were making fun of him. They were speaking against him. And then you love this. It, it, I've got three boys, and so this was a story we read all the time because they love this story. Go up, you bald-head. They're making fun of him. Talk, and all of a sudden, the Bible says, and a she-bear comes out of the woods and attacks the people that were making fun of the man of God and, and, and just mauls and kills the people that were making fun of the man of God. This is a picture of God taking care of it. Now, here's, here's the problem. I often say in those instances when people are against me and they say things and they, and they misunderstand and and, and I mean, those are horrible times. I often say to myself, I, God's got a bear for you. But then I sometimes, and this is where I think we struggle. I sometimes say this, can I watch? I want to see. It's one thing to trust that God's going to bring vengeance, but there's something about me that just wants to make sure it happens. Because I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that God's going to come through. You know, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I know you're going to do that. But we have to be honest. I know you are a gracious and kind and generous God. And I'm just afraid that at some point you're going to say, you know what, I'm going to let this slide. Bottom line is, 
What God is saying is when others have wronged you, trust him. He's got it. This isn't a battle you have to fight. This isn't something you have to lose sleep over. This isn't something you have to worry about. This is an opportunity for you to get on with your life and to simply say when that occurs, God, I don't have time for this. I'm going to give this to you. I want to leave room for you to do what you want to do in the life of this person. I don't know what's going on in the life of that person. I don't know why they've done that. It hurts. It doesn't take away from the sting that I feel. And sometimes I pay a physical price for the accusations that are made. I might even lose my job. But God, I'm trusting you to take care of it and we leave room for God to to do what he needs to do he continues to give us our part even past verse 20 when he says that we're to leave the revenge to God when he says that we're to do positive good he says if your enemy is hungry feed him if he's thirsty give him a drink for in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, there's been a lot of speculation as to what in the world is that talking about and certainly references this particular verse from the Old Testament. I, I think it's a wink from God because he knows that when somebody wrongs us, we want to know that, that they are going to pay for that, 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 they're, that justice will happen. And so God simply says this. He, uh, here, let me throw you a bone, Carol. If somebody does something wrong to you, repay their evil with good. Do something good for them. And as you do something good for them, it's going to get to them. It's going to bother them. It's not going to go unnoticed. It's like heaping coals because when they do something angry and bitter and rude and mean to you, they want you to respond in like kind. I want you to respond in the same way. I'm picking a fight with you and I want you to fight. But when you return evil with good, then it disrupts everything. And it's like heaping coals on them because they may get really mad now because you didn't respond the way I want you to. I'm not in control anymore. I thought I could push your buttons and make you do what I want you to do. And, and, and then you respond this way. How I dare you. They may get even angrier. But there's the picture of that heaping coals on their head. If they're hungry, feed them. That's the way we relate to people in the world. We recognize that every person in the world is a person for whom Jesus died. Every person in the world is a person that God loves. And we're to love one another in here. And we're to love the people that are out there. And because they are so different than we are, we're bound to butt heads on some issues, but we're not going to let that disrupt the, the unity and harmony that we can have with them as we follow in the steps of Jesus to make it possible to live as he had called us to. I think probably at this point in the message, most of us can identify with W.C. Fields. One time he was caught reading the Bible and a friend said to him, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm looking for loopholes. I think this is the kind of message where we look for loopholes. 
But loving a church and loving the world means, as he says in verse 21, that we do, that we are not overcome by evil, but instead we're able to overcome evil with good. And that's what God has called you to do, equipped you to do, and empowered you to do in the world around us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the message you've given us today, the opportunity to respond to its truth. And goodness, these are truths that all of us need to make application of to our life. All of us think about somebody in our life who has been that difficult person or someone who has said something ugly about us, someone who has cost us dearly because of things that they've done. Everything in us wants to get them back, but you have taught us today that we don't live like the rest of the world. We've been called to live like Jesus. Enable us and empower us to do that as we move forward. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. From everyone at Southcliff Church, thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry. Send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us.